Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm on vacation right now, so I have to do these intros really stealthy and quickly. In this conversation, I speak again with Sasha Ayad, who is the co-host of Gender Wider Lens podcast, as well as Lisa Celine Davis, and a couple of moms who talk about strategies for dealing with a suddenly transgender identified teen and the impact that such identification has on the family unit. Sasha's new book, When Kids Say They're Trans, is coming up very shortly here. It's going to be an excellent resource, and she also offers workshops around these issues along with frequent guests Stella O'Malley and Lisa Marciano. This is a wonderful, wonderful episode and a very, very powerful testimony from these mothers. So without further ado, here's Sasha and... So I call you guys Moms Against Gender Affirmation, MAGA. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, no. No? Is that a no-go? <laughs> I didn't even get that. That that's is funny. That's, that's pretty good. It's very good. Yep. I didn't get that until he said it. Get a hat. <laughs> Sasha, your book, and there's some naming issues with your book, speaking of names. When mm -hmm. my ch kids says they're trans, is that the current title? When kids say they're trans. Okay. And depending on the UK versus US version, in the UK it is subtitle, A Guide for Thoughtful Parents. And in the US it's subtitle, A Guide for Parents. Hmm. So, yes, okay. when kids say they're trans, a guide for regular parents or thoughtful parents. <laughs> so the assumption is that American parents are not that thoughtful. Well, there aren't correct. enough thoughtful parents <laughs> to correct. buy the book. Uh -huh. Or okay. that everyone in America is so thoughtful that it's just assumed mm. that it's you're an insult. a thoughtful yeah. parent. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so and, that's the name of our book. And your book has grown out of your hours and hours and years and years at this point of research and interaction with children and with parents and families uh, that are going through a process of gender questioning or gender troubles. Yeah, it's it's a book that I've co-written along with Lisa Marciano and Stella O'Malley. And between the three of us, I mean, we have just the thousands of families that we've been in contact with. And um, we wanted to create a resource for parents who explicitly believe that steering away from radical interventions such as changing your kid's identity, medicalizing their gender distress is the direction they want to go. And we've also um, worked with parents in person. And part of what we're here to talk about today, along with some parents who have attended our other events, is just the value of connecting in three dimensions because you know as we know there are lots of amazing resources videos interviews articles um, but there's something different that happens when we all get together in the same space in a kind of extended period of time where we're, we don't have the time pressure of running off to cook dinner or do this or that we can just be together think through things together and um it's been very special. And so we have another event like that coming up, which is a weekend of workshops based on our book. And it's going to be a little bit more workshop style than our previous events, which were a lot more like emotional processing. We'll do some of that, but this is going to be practical strategies. Parents come, take notes, think about how to implement some of these things in your life at home, whether you have a kid who's under the age of 18, still living at home, or if you have a child who's an adult who's either thinking of medicalizing or starting to medicalize, or if you have an estranged child, like there's so many different things parents need to do 
to take care of themselves and and move forward in their families. So hopefully that's what we can talk about a little bit today. Yeah. So speaking as mothers, and Lisa, uh, you can jump in because I know you're a mother too, but you're also plugged into this as an intellectual endeavor or like a journalistic, more of a journalistic endeavor. But how has it been for you as a parent of a gender questioning teen, uh, if I'll just use that as a very broad umbrella, to to find the right sort of help? How, how have you, like, what were kind of the avenues you, you took? And then how did you know that this is the kind of help that I need or the kind of processing I need? And then how did that lead you to Sasha and Stella? That's a question for me. Oh, uh, it's a question for Tammy or oh. Lynn, but also Lisa, oh, okay. if you want to pipe in. No, no, that's why I was, I, I thought it was for me, but no, let's have them. Let's hear from them. Well, I think what happened for me is when this gender thing blew up in my home with my youngest child, I was expected to affirm based on just my own training um, in the work that I do, the area in which I live um, from the West Coast, uh, specifically Pacific Northwest. And so it's a very liberal affirming area. However, this is not something I ever anticipated um, in my own family. It was There were no signs with my daughter prior to puberty. And this kind of proclamation seemed from my perspective as a mother to come out of nowhere. And I initially started researching you know, how to affirm, how to support, how to love my child as they are, um, and just became really concerned the more research I did. Um, and everything I found just was going against what my intuition as a mother said and what my knowledge of my child said. And I was especially concerned about the medicalization of young people in my community. Um, there are a lot of trans identified youth in the community where I'm from and in the community where we had been living the last couple of years and specifically youth that are medicalizing. And that was not something that made sense to me. That was something that concerned me greatly. Um, and that seemed to be something that my child expected, um, almost as a, a checklist. Um, so she fit a certain, um, story of coming out first as bisexual, then as pansexual, then as transgender in a letter, um, which looked very copy paste from things that I found on the internet from YouTube stars and things she had been exposed to. So I became very concerned. Um, and I also became concerned that it seemed to be a political issue and a very polarizing issue for people. And to me, I see it as a a public health issue for children and like a, a child development, identity development, kind of a mental health issue potentially. Um, she'd had some distress and had some other emotional issues, so she's not in a good space. Um, and there wasn't much help available. And there was a lot of unhelpful professionals that we encountered along the way while trying to seek help. And my experience was that it was terribly isolating as a mother, that there was 
seemingly nowhere to turn. Um, and the first thing I found that made sense and that seemed to be a voice of reason was the wider gender, wider lens podcast. So I started listening to that and that was something that seemed reasonable, like a lot of watchful waiting, a lot of expressing unconditional love, but setting boundaries. Um, but I still was really isolated. This was not something I could talk about with colleagues, um, being, you know, a licensed mental health professional myself and working in higher education in a very affirming institution. So this was not something that I could, you know, confer with colleagues, um, or consult in the way we normally would, um, with any other issue, um, for fear of, losing my professional status that I'd worked really hard for and had a lot of education for. And it was not something that I even felt we could talk to family or friends about. Hmm. Not a lot of language, right, about what we were trying to do, which is really just take a wait and see approach, um, really just help her to be safe and get a little older and, and see how she feels over time. And um, so after buying the podcast, I mean, I think it was helpful, but I was still very isolated. So the first kind of um, experience I had where I was with other reasonable, concerned, caring, educated parents was when I attended the Wider Lens Conference. What I did kind of, which I did kind of out of desperation, kind of like last minute, there was a space available. I had been sort of avoiding maybe being in a room with other parents who are going through this same thing. And um, I'm just very grateful that, you know, I found my way to that place and met other people and gained, I think, regained some confidence hmm. that I had lost as a parent. And this is my youngest child. So I've been parenting for a long time. I'd been through the teens years, like in a normal way. But um, I think I was really being like bullied you know, um, into affirmation and bullied by my child to kind of, you know, get what she wanted from me in terms of different boundaries and permission to medicalize, permission to socially transition, et cetera. Things that I did not think were in her best interest. And so I had really lost a lot of confidence. I had um, felt terribly isolated. I was avoiding difficult conversations and boundary setting instead of being able to navigate it. So I think in addition to just the powerful experience of hearing other parents' similar stories, I also just gained some some language and some tips and tricks and some ability to practice, um, you know, as a parent, how to navigate kind of this difficult circumstance that we found ourselves in. How long has that been, if you mind me asking, that you've been? So I um, was too fearful, I think, to attend the first conference that was held. I, I last minute grabbed an empty spot in the second conference, which was in Arizona. So I believe that was like, I remember it was Halloween time yeah, um, of last so year. Because mm -hmm. I remember I, I had this hoodie that said, I'm fine, but it's like there's blood, like she's bleeding out. <laughs> and I said, oh, this is what I should wear to the conference, because I think oh. this is how all like 55 parents are feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But really, we're, we're bleeding out as mothers of how to help our kiddos. Yeah. Thank you. Tammy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear also from, from Lynn and Lisa, but I just want to say that, Tammy, what you're describing is is remarkable because on one hand, like you are a mental health professional, you're a competent 
educated person who understands child development, you are typically able to parent from a place of, of both knowledge and instinct. But when this gender thing comes in, if you don't have that support around you, which has always bolstered like what you know about your own children, it's so scary and it's so um, kind of upside down world. And that kind of fear makes it so hard to lean in in that confident way that actually helps your kids move through this. So it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think having that community around you, even if it's people who go back to their own lives, like I know a lot of relationships get built in those settings and it just gives you a little bit of boost. Like I'm not crazy. I'm not a bad parent. Actually, I do know my child and that can help mm -hmm. you do some of the things that you probably already instinctively thought would be good to do. Just a, it's a bit of a boost in a really confusing situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also restored my faith in our professions and that I, you know, this was the first time I was able to kind of confer with not only other parents, but other professionals who were taking a more reasonable, balanced, wait and see kind of approach, given what we know about adolescence which is mm -hmm. that they're figuring it out. Mm -hmm. They're trying on different identities. And this is now one of the identities that's being introduced to them in schools and via social media. You know, it's one thing for your, you know, your child to come home and say, I'm a Scientologist now. But it's another thing if you, if your child comes home and says, I'm a Scientologist now. And then you go and you, you realize everybody around you has been a Scientologist. You're like, wait, hold on. Like, it's not just your kids in the cult. It's like the whole surrounding yeah. from what you're describing. When, when it comes to yeah. this issue, everybody was in this um, wishful thinking space with regards to gender. Yeah, I have a family member who says we're all being collectively gaslit. That's the way he describes what's happening yeah. in kind of the gender world. Mm. So true. Lynn, would you uh, want to pony up your tail? Yeah, sure. Um, so in many ways, it's very similar to what Tammy went through. It's again, youngest, younger child, daughter. Um, and it started the same way when she was a little younger, maybe uh, like sixth, seventh grade. I don't remember exactly coming home from her GSA club meetings that I was all in support of. Like, that's great. You're such a good ally, blah, blah, blah announcing she's pansexual and you know at the time we were like okay you know what let's uh you can date who you want to date that's all right um but the, along that same time she's really suffering mentally and at the time we sort of chalked it up to oh you know this is puberty i you know i remember i was moody i was out of my mind at that age it's normal she's gonna get through it we'll just be here for her as her parents but then the trans announcement came and, and it kind of took uh, me and my husband a little while to take it seriously. I would say me more than him. He right away was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, it's fine. This is what the kids are doing. It's fine. But then just a hard turn came um, at the end of middle school and the hair got cut off, the announcement, the militancy. And I really saw this meant this decline with with her general mental health and i 
you know, right away said this, something, this isn't right. Like, this is just not right. Um, we're, we're actually fortunate to live in an area where the law is on our side and where, um, you know, fortunately I'm not in this, in this bubble of affirmation. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to have people in, in my life, maybe not professionally. I've really kept that at a distance, but, um, even my, my daughter at the time had a, had a therapist and the therapist at the time was when she announced this to her was like, you know, I, she, she, she point blank said, I think putting kids on these kind of drugs is out and out child abuse, but I don't really know how to help your daughter. So you need to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. So even though I didn't feel like, uh, like I was necessarily completely going against everything that everybody was telling me, it was hard to find a professional that I could entrust with, with her. Um, so our, our initial tack actually from the get go was we have, we'll find a therapist to a Christian therapist. Like I specifically looked for that because I thought at least we have a better chance of maybe not automatically having an affirming therapist. Um, and you know, in our state, that's like, I don't know how other states are. It's perfectly legal. And they, they don't like try to convert your kid to Christianity. It's just like, they lay it on the line, like, Hey, this is my training, but we'll talk about what you want to talk about. I'm not here to try to direct it. Right. So, Mm. so that's what she's always had. Um, but you just, at at the same time, as I, as all of this was happening, it led to really my own complete and total mental breakdown. I mean, it really, took a horrible toll on my, on my mental health and, and, and on my physical health as well. Um, to where it just, I mean, what, what Tammy said, it just, it causes you to question everything and it completely undermined and eroded any confidence that I had in a parent, not just how to parent this, this child, but my older one too. And it's like, what, what, what am I doing? And how do I, and then also call into question my own, like, sanity like how how do i know that i'm wrong or how do i know that i'm right about this about my kid and it, it like it caused me even to question my own instincts my own instincts as a parent and everything that i had seen in this this child that i knew so well who was you know a completely different person two years ago that's like yeah adolescence is big but it doesn't like literally make you into a completely different person um so i just felt completely at sea. Um, and I mean, honestly, the whole maybe first nine months to a year that we were going through this, it was just me trying to get my own self together in some capacity. And I didn't know where to look because at the time, it, this was only uh, what, 2021, I guess. There was a little bit out there online but I had so much fear in me over everything that it's like, I was even afraid to look online and look for anything. And like, I didn't even want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it, it from people like Sasha and Stella. I didn't, I didn't want to look at any of it. It's like, I was so freaked out. I couldn't even face that Medusa that was in front of me. Um, so after about a year, things in my life through my own therapy, through my own, you know, spiritual awakening, I guess, whatever you want to, however you want to put it. 
not going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> I started really looking out for, I found Sasha online and very shortly thereafter, I found that the wider lens retreat was happening. I kind of almost found it last minute. I mean, it was around the corner and I was like, you know what, I, I got to do this. I'm ready to start. I need to do something because I can't just take a back seat and pray that this is going to resolve itself. Like I have an active role in this, but I'm not effective with my daughter right now because anytime I try to talk with her, I might read something in a book or watch a tutorial online. And then I go right in her room and I'm like, Hey, what do you think of this? And then just blows up, hmm. totally blows up. So it just, um, and, and it was, it was the best thing that I did because again, having that, having people in the room with you that it, it showed me one of the biggest takeaways that I, that I got from it was that I wasn't just living in a bubble. Um, because when we're in that room all together, it wasn't one type of person or one type of worldview parent that was in there. I mean, we we can easily insulate ourselves with whatever feedback loop we want. And if we can find whatever we want to soothe our itching ears constantly and, and have an, an idea like, oh, yeah, no, we're, this, is, this is true. But when you're sitting in a room with parents of all different faiths and all different backgrounds and literally from every part of the country and many different parts of the world, all these different backgrounds. And we're all saying something is not right. That was so hmm. bolstering to me. So eye opening. Like it's no, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not just, I, I don't have a narrow or naive or whatever over overly conservative worldview. Like this is, this is a problem. I've um, I've been listening to stories of detransitioners for quite a while, and and been studying the gender topic uh, broadly. Um, but the the stories of parents are kind of like the, the more and more are coming out. But one thing that I, when I went to Ireland and to the GenSpec conference, and I actually met the parents, um, it was shocking to me just how profoundly affected specifically the mothers are mm -hmm. and i can't even it, it's so profound it points to some sort of like mother child bond that is beyond mm -hmm. any conception that we have about um yeah. about reality and that you being a mother i mean i don't know but being a mother giving birth to the child like you understand the child from the inside out and this gender mm -hmm. thing for some reason severs that bond or attacks that very bond mm -hmm. that very basic reality this biological reality because they're flesh of your flesh it just seems very profound yeah. and so when parents are dealing with this especially mothers it seems like they have to deal with themselves and the child at the same time yeah um and so the work is is double and in a sense total it absolutely I, I understand that it would totally shake your faith in society reality language you know just you know spirituality the whole thing just starts to crumble just because of that one little connection and and these bunch of pronouns so at the same time it shows that these these playing with pronouns playing with identities they are kind of playing with fire especially when it comes to sex mm -hmm. there's just a mystery there it seems like to me yeah, and I think in one way it makes sense because the adolescent job is to separate from the parents and individuate. So I wouldn't be concerned if it wasn't for the medicalization and the health issues. Um, frankly, I wouldn't even be as concerned about 
the what we call the nickname and the pronouns if it wasn't so delusional and didn't seem to lead to medical interventions. So if I thought my child is going to use this nickname or they're going to play around with pronouns, but they're not going to harm their body, I would probably let it go as a parent. Um, but the more research I did, the more I understood that any time we attempted to reach a family compromise around the name and pronouns, she would move the goalpost to the next thing. And this is a very yeah. common story. And this is a story we heard over and over again at the conference that if parents agree to they, them within, you know, weeks, they will want he, him. Mm-hmm. And if parents agree to a binder, then they want mm-hmm. blockers. And if they agree mm-hmm. and then just so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and so that is a concern. Okay. And in my family, we went from a saying where my daughter would say, oh, you know me so well. Anything that would happen, pick up something at the store or make a certain meal or go on a certain adventure. Oh, you know me so well. How did you know you know me so well? And we went from you know me so well as a family to you don't know me at all. And that's when I realized that there is a lot of groomers um, socially. So um, my child was groomed by another child in school who's already medicalizing Um, And in fact, there's now two trans identified children in that particular family and um, was led down a path of how to get her trans rights and all the ways and reasons in which we were unsupportive and we were violating, according to this peer, her trans rights. And, um, you know, in the community we live in, the school socially transitioned without our knowledge or consent. The school counselor was way over involved with our child, even after we requested, look, she's got a private therapist. Please don't see my child outside of academic scheduling. And it continued. Um, And ultimately, you know, my child had an incident where she was um, even assaulted by the same groomer peer who was medicalizing and no parents were involved or notified or anything because we'd already been deemed an unsupportive family by the school system. So uh, my child was in a physical altercation where she was hit, had marks on her, and we were not told. And um, we only found out when she didn't want to attend school, which was a new behavior. And I had to push for the other parents also to be notified because that's a violation, you know, that's a side effect potentially of that other child Mm -hmm. who in my view is also a victim Mm -hmm. of their treatment. They're receiving a treatment and aggression is a side effect. And those parents also have a right to know that their child assaulted my child. And so Mm -hmm. schools are not equipped. They're caught in the middle and they're not equipped to, Mm -hmm. I think, navigate all the subtleties that parents are not unsupportive or supportive. And yeah. there's a whole spectrum of ways families function. We've had, um, we have a very, a different school experience, but I also see that the school is really not equipped where our, our school is actually really supportive of us in our position. And, um, so, but, but at the same time, I can tell that they are on their heels with this and, I time and again have met with our school's director and said, please, here's the GenSpec website. Here's who you can email, please. There are people that can help you 
build a policy that's mm-hmm. going to include families and be supportive. And I think they've gotten a little bit better about it for sure they have, but, but I would never have been able to have done that if I didn't have the courage before, because I was literally like, I, I don't want to deal with this. But when, after going to that retreat, I was like, okay, you know what? I can actually talk to people about this, even if I suspect that they might not agree with mm-hmm. me. I, I'm still a little mm-hmm. fearful of that, but at the same time, it's like, um, I have a lot more, uh, courage about being mm-hmm. proactive, but the, the schools really, I mean, Tammy is right. Whether the school, whether the schools are doing what every parent's nightmare is, which is what Tammy's kid school is doing. And many are, or my school, which is, you know, they'll, they'll do what we want, but they don't really always want to be the bad guy everyone is on their heels with this. Hmm. And I think that I assume good intentions, but I think there's going to be a lot of well-intentioned educators and other professionals that are going to be on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is really an important point that we, we try to make in the book. And I think this came up a lot in our workshops and retreats and stuff until these institutional forces catch up with the destruction and the changing policies that we're seeing in Europe. Like we're starting to recognize that these things are a bit of a snowball that are really not helpful to kids until we can, until parents can kind of fill trust for those institutions, parents have to really drum up their courage and take the reins themselves. And I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of like why we wrote the book. That's why we run these retreats, because I realized as an individual therapist, like my practice started off just working with adolescents, right? But what I realized is that parents are really having a hard time figuring out how do I stand in an assertive but loving way in my parental authority so I can be the guide who loves my kid the most and can understand like where these boundaries should be placed. So a -hmm. lot of families are historically like, oh, well, the school's always been great about this or doctors and therapists have always been great about that. But we're all of a sudden in a position now where no, everybody has to really kind of draw up their mama bear energy as cheesy as that is and like really lean in and take the reins because nobody else is going to do it. Yep. Everyone. I I wanted to pick up on, um, speaking of the mama bear energy uh, words that both Tammy and Lynn said, which one was courage and one was isolation. So I think, you know, the, the way that we silence people is by making them isolated. And I was also my feeling isolated myself as I was learning the truth and trying to figure out um, how to tell the truth or figure out what the truth was. And, um, the courage part is, you know, it's it's when you're risking your kid, um, your relationship with your kid, it's really hard to screw up that courage. I was only mm-hmm. risking my career, I think. I mean, I so far things OK with my kid, um, but knock on wood. Um, so I think that one of the things that being together does is you know, it breaks down that isolation and that's what generates the courage. And not everyone can speak out in in the same way, but it helps people um, screw up the courage to maybe write an email to the school or to write a letter to the pediatrician or, you know, when you keep people isolated and you and you keep them from the information, 
um, which the media has been doing and the medical associations have been doing, right? Like they, it all works when we have to be silent and alone. So I, I and I feel like there's something particularly powerful about um, the parents. I mean, I, I've had the opposite experience, right? My kid did not come to me and say, I'm trans. Other adults came to me and mm-hmm. said, your child, you should transition your child. Your child is trans. And I was like, I, I don't even know what, I don't understand these, what people are saying. Um, so, and I didn't have any way, I didn't have any information to push back. Um, and I also was in my own way doing this wait and wait and see approach. And I, I just felt like I wasn't even sure why I was risking my career. But when I, when the retreat happened and I, I emailed Sasha and Stella and Lisa and said, I'm not an ROGD parent, but can I go? Because I don't have anyone to talk to. Um, so I was different than the parents, but they were all very welcoming to me, but I was, I was similar in that a, the current ideology, it isn't good for my kid either. It isn't good to tell gender nonconforming children that there's something wrong with their body, mm-hmm. that they can't be male or female as they actually are. But um, B, like most of most of the people, their kids had been so influenced by the internet. So there is something mm-hmm. very powerful yeah. about going analog and being together. There is mm-hmm. something that makes it you know, I know Benjamin grew up in like a religious fundamentalist thing, and I grew up like hardcore atheist. But um, I, there is something very powerful and kind of spiritual about the the coming together of like people who actually share a belief system. This belief system happens to be objective reality, <laughs> which is a funny thing to radical on. Yeah. <laughs> But we're and at I love night. what we have to hide away at this secret retreat to talk about reality. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's why I'm, I, you know, sorry about the ramble. But th- those are, I was having all these thoughts while everyone was talking about just, there's been some prediction that because of all the AI, that there's going to be more of an emphasis on in-person um, kind of life. You know, we're going to need more interpersonal interaction. And I just ended up feeling like I, I ended up going on three or four, um, what I came to think of as free speech vacations last year. By the end of it, I was like, I'm traveling all around just to be in a place where I can speak about objective reality and and object to what I'm you know, asked to do as a reporter and, and free myself from the language. I, I think Benjamin's was the first kind of podcast I did when I was coming out of my shell Mm -hmm. and I was still using some language. I remember I used Mm -hmm. the word queer, which I would never actually use. And I've, I just, it takes a long time to, if you've been encased in these ideas and this language and you've been a liberal and this is your community, it takes, it's very hard to push through that. It's like invasion of the body statures. And so to go to all these places where everyone else has escaped the pod and they can help you shed the final layers and you can sit in reality together as the antidote. It's it's very powerful, and it really it really helped me. Um, it it also you know when I was saying like why am I doing this? I know I'm doing it for my kid, but 
but why why am I risking you know a 20 year career and then I'm in a room full of people just sobbing some of them just from sheer relief mm-hmm. that's when it became very clear to me about why I was doing it mm-hmm. whatever it is I'm doing <laughs> what do you all think needs to be communicated there's so many different vectors um like we already brought up to school boards but to other parents uh what are the adults supposed to be doing where are the adults in the room and where are the adults in the room that we should listen to or being an adult what what does that require of us right now with this issue i want to say one thing really quickly before i forget it i I would love to make sure that we leave a path open for the parents who really affirmed and really believe. Like I've been in a stupid online conversation with someone who just, it's be, you know, I can tell that he doesn't believe the words queer and non-binary as he's writing them, but Mm. he has to say them like how. So that's one of my questions for Mm -hmm. all of us too, is we need I was told that somebody who posed in a picture with her daughter that went very, all of us have seen it at some point, you know, after top surgery, that the daughter regrets, that the mother regrets, the pictures everywhere. How can we, how can we welcome that parent and that kid to like, it's okay. It's okay that you participate. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think parents also get bullied. And if it was five years earlier, I could have been that parent because there was no other information out there and we weren't hearing detransitioner stories yet. Mm-hmm. And parents are being told this is the only way to support your child. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that was some of the power of being in the conference too, is we were all at different points on our journey, even though we had remarkably similar stories, which I think attests to the influence of social media and some of these kind of trans YouTube stars and their impact on kids who are lost and struggling and maybe vulnerable to find their way and their place in school. Um, There's a tremendous social capital right now in having an oppressed identity. And there definitely were themes of that, um, at least in the people that had the privilege to be at the Widerlands conference and be mm-hmm. in the room, mm-hmm. there were themes of, you know, upper middle class or affluent families. Mm-hmm. There were themes of most of us, you know, having Caucasian background or being white passing. And um, that is the lowest status mm-hmm. in high school right now. Yep. You do not want to be what the kids call a cis het white girl. There's nothing worse. And Mm -hmm. so the idea that adolescents would cling to some oppressed identity in the way that they can, and the one that's available to them is being trans, um, I think is a powerful theme that came out of the conference. But also we were all in a room together, but we had parents who had young adult kids. We heard stories of being estranged and learned practical, I think, ideas about how to work against that, how to lean as a family, as Sasha would say, lean in, Mm -hmm. Um, even when they maybe are behaving badly and and deserve it the least is when they need it Mm -hmm. probably the most in terms of our unconditional love. And then we had families there that were in the early days. Their kid had just come to them with their trans Mm -hmm. letter. And so there was a lot of wisdom in that room from people that were just at different points on the journey. 
And there was also a lot of like learning from other people's, you know, yeah. well-intended pitfalls, right? Things that didn't yeah. work for other families yeah. where I'm like, okay, stay away from that. You know, mm -hmm. it, it seems like families that are having success are, um, you know, changing the environment and sticking together as a family and yeah. keeping that influence as a family. So those were two powerful things that I definitely came away with as long, as well as like having some practical strategies like what does that look like how do you actually do that and you know those are things we practiced in yeah. a larger group and in small groups yeah i want to just touch on a couple of things you said because you're right there is especially with like this within the circles that we are operating inside of there's definitely like a middle upper class white family that has become almost like the rogd prototype family but we had people coming in from other countries, mm -hmm. different, totally different cultures where this is starting yeah. to impact their kids. Mm -hmm. Sometimes kids with kind of uh, mixed race families who feel like outsiders, but they don't really know where they fit in. So it's, it's amazing that mm -hmm. the trans identity coping strategy appeals to so many different kinds of kids who have very different types of problems. Um, and I mean, to the point about bringing in parents who have gone down the affirming path, that was something that we did see a lot in these groups where parents were able to describe like the way they felt pressured into it or just feeling so confused by their kids' mental health problems that maybe this outlandish theory, maybe it's going to make sense. We don't know. We obviously haven't known what to do thus far. So maybe these doctors are right. Look, they're all from Stanford. They're all from Harvard. And they're all like telling us there's a 1% regret rate. Like this sounds compelling, you know? So but then having new parents come in and then the affirming parents, maybe with an adult child, were able to say, let me tell you why I regret using the name and pronouns, you know? So people at different stages were able to kind of support one another and offer like strategies or I wish I had done this. I wish I hadn't done this. And that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then if, if I could just speak to uh, Lisa's comment as well, it just seems one when, when we entered that retreat, I think it was Lisa and like that first minute we sat down, she said, you need to know something. We are in the middle of a medical scandal, perhaps the biggest one of our lifetimes. And just by virtue of the fact that we all acknowledge that, you don't, you know, no, I don't think um, 50 years ago, anybody would blame somebody who'd undergone a lobotomy for having undergone the lobotomy. You're trusting the people that you are supposed to trust. So just by virtue of who we are and, and our position that, that this is a scandal, that this is not the right treatment for our kids, it just shows that we we get it we get that there's a lot of pressure and hmm. it's not your fault for trusting the people that your entire life you've completely been able to trust and look to why why would you know why would you question that now <laughs> yeah so yeah one imagines a world where there's lobotomy influencers on on youtube like i did it it's great i'll show oh, you how to do it at home you can talk to your parents you can get the lobotomy they put a hook up your nose it's great but remember, many people were were satisfied with their yep. lobotomies. Yeah. Like 30, oh, 35% sure. and family sure. members were happy and um, sure. 
housewives were the <laughs> largest demographic of people to get lobotomies, which I learned in my research recently. So, I mean, that that's the, um, I mean, that's one of the things that makes this all so difficult is it's all yeah. so murky and medical research is so bad and there are so yeah. many medical scandals and yeah. and there are so many people i guess similar to so many people in, invested in this and, and similar to the question about you know how how can we welcome parents who were the strident you know and, and like did everything for their kids how, how can we say anytime you're ready come on over here and we'll welcome you to the side of of reason and i i would like that to be the same for all the people who've you know gaslit us or the the people mm -hmm. you know for for you guys it was the people hiding things from you i i was a little earlier and no one was hiding anything from me but um, they were doing it they were asking me would you like to us to participate in socially transitioning your child none of us use that language because i don't even think any of us knew it then but mm -hmm. i i want to have a path for all of those people mm -hmm. to 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 join us over here i guess it's why i i speak somewhat carefully about it and i think mm -hmm. that um but i also think that so many people have refused to bear witness to the pain this has caused families and the destruction. And yeah. I think what Tammy was saying before yeah. about, you know, if it didn't lead to medicalization, it would be okay. And I, I wanna add to that, that I think for a lot of kids, it makes them worse. I, I have seen it make, mm -hmm. you know, a genuinely gender dysphoric child to, to at least temporarily alleviate this, this kid's distress. And I don't know what will, I assume it will lead to medicalization. And this is the different, this is the original cohort I've seen that. I've seen the distress alleviate from that, whether or not that that is a good idea. But I, I think that the the untold story that I keep trying to tell is the vilification of the parents and the destruction of these families and that social transition is not innocuous. And mm -hmm. it's um, hmm. and that kids and families are getting hurt. And so for for people to refuse to bear witness to that, I guess it makes it all the more important for us to bear witness to each other's pain and, and struggles. But it's it's a it's a wild part of this story um, that, you know, ju judging mothers is is an old American tradition, but actually making the um you know the the you know the the right wing talking point that the left wants to destroy the nuclear family you know that that now there's some truth to that and that i mean and that makes it difficult to tell the story because then all the hyperbole is somewhat true hmm. but i just think like i think the whole story it's about kids but a lot of it is about parents and that's why i just think it's really important for the parents to collectivize to organize to bear witness yeah. to each other's pain to be there for each other yeah, yeah. can i touch on on that because it kind of loops back in with your question benjamin about parents and what are the adults in the room supposed to be doing i mean i i tend to think 
even though this is this is kind of a, a perspective I wouldn't have had maybe 10, 15 years ago, but I tend to think our locus of control is actually quite small. And it's it's a small little circle around ourselves, our own thoughts, how we respond to circumstances in our lives, how we treat others in our lives. And one of the things that's so destructive, I think, about this whole concept of gender affirmation is that it demotes the parent's role into being a kind of a confirmer of their child's beliefs and fantasies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the adults in the room are supposed to be doing, which we talked about in the retreats, is they're supposed to set the tone for how a child understands their distress. Whether we like it or not, it's built into the structure of childhood that kids look to adults to understand what does this mean how am i supposed to be navigating this and where are the edges and boundaries and when you have an entire society that feels too paralyzed to question or or say no to children who through no fault of their own like they don't even know what they're talking about in a lot of ways it completely erodes the ability of the adults to do what they're supposed to be doing and then it kind of trickles out by you know, schools undermining parents, therapists undermining parents, like everybody is kind of undermining the job of this person, the parent that is out of everyone in the world, they are best positioned to care about this child. Mm -hmm. And this whole movement is eroding that, which is so shocking when you really stop and think about it and it leaves all these gaps like well then who's got the best interest of the child in mind their teacher their school counselor their psychiatrist like no it's the parents Mm -hmm. in the vast majority of cases parents are the absolute best person to look out for the well-being of this child so i mean part part of why we really emphasize parental confidence is because there's no one else who can jump in and do this for you if your child is going through this gender thing. Yeah. I agree. And I think another responsibility just to circle back to Benjamin's question that we have as adults is to really be able to examine different perspectives and like work together, like families and schools and medical professionals and have all the stories be heard and be out on the table. And I feel like our stories are really getting killed. Um, Like they're not making it to press. And this is as a parent who has tried to get stories out there um, while still balancing like the privacy of my minor daughter. Um, But basically kids are getting gender support plans and they have a box. Are parents supportive? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. I've actually seen them. And parents are supportive if they are affirming and going along with the name and pronouns and headed down a medical path. And parents are unsupportive if they are not. And if we're unsupportive, then what is happening is we are completely left out of that whole plan for our child. And that was our experience as a family. And I also feel like there's a lot of media and stories around people and families fleeing states where there are protections for parental authority and there are laws now, you know, against what they call gender affirming care. Um, But if you, you know, so we see those stories in the media, but we do not see the stories of families that are fleeing liberal 
communities and affirming schools to try to give their kids some time to figure this out, which is what we did. Hmm. We yeah. left the country. Yeah. Not the county, the country. The country. Wow. Yeah. So we're in a country where this is not happening. Mm-hmm. And, and so we've removed the cultural influence and I have faith in my child. And we've, I mean, we have with our own child too. I mean, she's in a private school and she was on the verge of being expelled because, because of grades, because she's completely focused on this gender stuff and was, um, turn you know, taking every opportunity to turn her classroom into a lecture session or with, um, her friends, if the teachers referred to her as a she, her, her friend group would come down on the teacher. So it came down to, you need to get this in line. You're gone. And we told her like the alternative is homeschooling because even though we're in, we're in a state that uh, it's not legal for minors to transition. I know that our public school system is very affirming. I mean, that's this is where our daughter was exposed to this in the first place. There's no way she's going to one of those schools. No way. So that's like, that's our alternative. And that's, that's not the best course for her education, mm-hmm. but I mean, education or the rest of your life, your, your physical, mental health and well-being, education is not that important in light of that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's part of it, but I just, I, yeah, you, you're, you're like putting your kid in the lion's den. It's terrifying. We and you have up- no control over what's being said to them. We brought up uh, the impact that it has had on you as mothers and then the impact that it has on the child is a big question, but also, and you don't have to go into this um, specifically, but just the strain that it puts on the marriage and the strain that it puts on the Mm -hmm. other siblings too is another Mm -hmm. vector of coping. And I wonder, Sasha, if you guys uh, have touched on that or if you're developing, um, you know, what does this, what does this do to couples and how can couples get through yeah. it as a couple? And, and how do we deal with the, the child that's not uh, trans, you know, there's kind of sidelined yeah. by this. Yeah. Yeah. We have several chapters in the book addressing family dynamics, sibling dynamics, couples dynamics, extended family. This is all very tricky and complicated. Um, and, you know, it, <sighs> Each family is very different. Each situation is different. But, you know, overarching, let's say, principles that we might lift up together is that everybody in the family matters. Everybody in the family has needs and emotions and an experience that they're having. And what I often see in certain kind of constellations of families is that the kid with the gender distress becomes like the gravitational force that everybody is revolving around. Every decision, every walking on eggshells moment, every interaction is an attempt to pacify or avoid triggering this young person. And unfortunately, what that does is that it messages to the siblings that you all have to tiptoe around your sibling because your sibling has like special problems which like, there's always a negative Mm -hmm. truth. Like, obviously these kids are dealing with a special problem, right? (laughs) But it really um, diminishes the importance of everybody else in the family. And this can kind of create a a spiral of resentment and like hurt feelings and relationship problems. And of course, within the marriage context, you know, it's incredible because I saw a couple in Ireland who had come to 
uh, one of our retreats. And they were like this. They said, you know, even though what's going on with our son has been so challenging, we are completely on the same page. We support one another. We finally have like really come together uh, in, in trying to work on this. And that's one story, but a lot of other marriages are in a really difficult spot. It's often some sort of an imbalance of engagement. What I think is usually the mom is full steam ahead, like leaning into this, trying to understand this, trying to send her husband articles and like, please read this, please look at this. And sometimes the dads are, you know, on one side of the spectrum, maybe affirming and saying like, I, you just want to make our kid happy. Like it's going to be fine. Or, you know, you're overreacting and it's no big deal or, I'm checked out. I don't want to deal with this at all. So, I mean, there's so many different ways this can play out in a family, depending on the personality, the, you know, and under underlying kind of issues. Sometimes the gender piece uh, exposes weaknesses and challenges that existed in a family dynamic before. And mm -hmm. in my experience, when parents are able to, as we like to say, lean in and like use this as an opportunity to learn about themselves, about their kid, about their spouse, about these dynamics, you have an opportunity to make some little corrections, to make some adjustments and like, you know, try to compensate for what maybe was lacking before. So there are a lot of ways that this gender experience can either tear families apart, which it does often, or help families actually make some repairs and corrections and like resolve some things that were maybe struggling even before the gender. Yeah, it I makes me think I... about some um, one person who said like, if you have an ROGD kid, it's that means it's time to look at your family dynamics. Mm. You know, there's it's the kid is responding yeah. to something sometimes. I've talked yeah. to a lot of people where there was another kid who was really difficult or really sick or something. And then the kid comes out as trans and then gets gets to suck away some yeah. of the attention. And I, yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking about and back to the kind of social transition, uh, kind of how big a deal is it? I was thinking about the movie War Games and like, do you guys remember them? Are you old enough to remember the movie War yeah. Games? Um, <laughs> So, you know, the whole thing is there's it's an AI movie and, and it's Matthew Broderick and he's playing the computer and it looks like the computer is launching missiles at, at Russia. And but no one knows if, if it's a game or not. And um, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and and I feel like that's what happens to these families is that no one knows how serious this is. And sometimes with the dads, they're like, this is a phase or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's fine as long as they stay rooted in some kind of objective truth. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for the moms, it's just harder to not feel your children's pain. And I, I hate making those kind of generalizations, but it certainly had like that's been very, you know, mm -hmm. that, that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I've really found that to be true and i i mean again i think the retreats allow parents to go in in search of their own happiness and peace regardless of what's going on with their kids but i i think that that's you know if the if the mother and father 
if they happen to be a mother and father, um, aren't on board or the two parents aren't on board the same way, um, it can, I've just seen it cause so much tension. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that my husband is like 92% with me. The 8% that he's not with me is a really weird 8%, but, um, but you know, we're, we're mostly in agreement and, and he has to, from the moment he opens his eyes in the morning until bedtime, he has to hear about this from me, any passing in the hallway or anything. It's just gender <laughs> coming out of my mouth. So it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's so hard. I, I, I was just listening to, to Sasha and Stella talking with that Sarah, is it the clinician who changed yeah. her mind? Sarah and she told she told the story of you know there was a family where the dad mom wanted to transition and the dad didn't and the dad lost and lost custody and i think she said he ended up committing suicide and i mean i think and that's way, it's crazy not to tell that story more yeah. often in the press sorry yeah yeah no i agree with what lisa said i think that the i feel like really grateful and lucky that i am in a pretty solid marriage where we are philosophically aligned on kind of our position with our child. The most heartbreaking stories I think I heard at the conference were families that had experienced divorce and one mm. parent was affirming and one parent was not, and that not yeah. affirming parent was now estranged. So those yeah. were the most heartbreaking stories. I will say also, I learned a lot from the handful of dads that were at the conference, yeah. um, which didn't include actually my child's dad. You know, I was there just as a mom, most of us were moms, but there were a handful of dads. And mm -hmm. I think their stories were really powerful and really helpful to me too. And kind of also understanding my, you know, partner's perspective or experience maybe, uh, you know, from the father's lens. Hmm. Um, so that was something that was also very helpful about the conference. Yeah. And, and I would just want to touch on that. I, a couple of couples came, you know, as you're describing. And I remember one mom said, you know, after we came, that really helped my husband to get on board with me. And now we're much more united. So it's like, if you are in a couple, and you're you're mostly in agreement, but let's say dad is just disengaged or your your other spouse is disengaged. This is a really nice way of saying, like, first of all, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only person. There are very reasonable, educated, loving, wonderful parents who share the same concerns as me. And it, it can help to kind of bring both people on a more similar page, which that's huge. Like if you can strengthen your relationship or your own mental health coming to mm -hmm. one of these events, like that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. And then with the sibling, um, tips, tricks, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking about like the whole family, like how do we support the, the siblings? I guess you already mentioned it, you know? Well, I think one of the yeah. themes that I saw when I was there and that is also true in my own family is that sometimes the trans identifying kid is the kid that has not been in the spotlight. So I mm -hmm. met so many other families where the sibling had either a significant medical issue a significant mental health issue 
or they were like a golden child, yes. like an athlete, mm-hmm. exactly. a high achiever, super yeah. easy kid to raise. Yeah. Um, and that was true in, in our family. And so that this could be the way of the trans identifying child to kind of stake their claim for their needs and their attention and yeah. their own identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw more of a theme in that way. Not that siblings aren't also suffering. I think my child's sibling is super confused. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, they're a young adult, don't understand the gender stuff, don't understand what's happening to their sister, are really like concerned about what's happening to their sister but don't have like the language, you know, yeah. or know how to support her. So yeah. I think siblings definitely do suffer, but I saw it the other way where mm-hmm. maybe um, the trans identifying child has actually been the child who sort of has just been not in the spotlight or whose needs maybe have um, kind of fell a bit under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. often hear that this was a kid we never had to worry about because her brother has mm-hmm. autism, for example, or yeah. her other siblings, the star of the football team. And like, she's always been responsible. We've never had to worry about her. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. this becomes a way that the child can garner care. And it's not that they're doing it on purpose. It's just like filling mm-hmm. a subconscious need that they didn't otherwise know how to ask for. Hmm. Yeah. That was very much the experience in in my family as well, where the older kid is just easy. I mean, he had, but he had issues at the same time. But as far as like familial relating to mom and dad, not pushing the boundaries at home. And he's very much the peacekeeper, peacemaker. And there was definitely a lot of friction between the two of them and you know, sadly, a lot of the time, trans identified younger one was the one pushing that friction. And it's, mm-hmm. and, and I think, so for, for me, what, what, what I have really been focusing on is the, the, the golden thread and like if, the blessings, if you will, that have, that have come out of this, because th- that sort of thing wasn't even really like the dynamic of that relationship and how it actually was impacting my daughter more so than, than the, than the other child. I, I don't think that I would have examined that or dealt with it mm-hmm. if that hadn't really been, been brought to, to our attention. And mm-hmm. because of that, I mean, just because of understanding how to look at that and between my husband and I, you know, really having to examine our beliefs and why we believe what we believe. So this, this is all actually helped us to create a much better family than we used to be. I mean, our, our bonds, even with, with both of my kids have, have, and my husband has grown so much stronger and better. And I know that that's the way, that's the only way through this. Hmm. And that, uh, and you know, when, when we're, when I'm trying to maybe talk to other people about this, who are affirming, or even talk to my own child about this, like for us to have just affirmed and gone along with it meant that we wouldn't have dealt with any of that. It, yeah. it would have continued and it, it, it would have gotten worse. We, you know, our family wouldn't, wouldn't be as strong. Our relationships wouldn't be what they are today. If we had just affirmed it's, it's a way of actually narrowing and shutting down the, the conversation and, and ignoring the issues. The, the affirmation blind spot affirmation blind spot. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's an affirmation blindfold, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so another retreat is coming up, uh, Sasha, when... When will that be? Yeah, so September 21st through 24th. It's called A Weekend of Workshops. If you go to our book website, whenkidssaythertrans.com, and you click on Weekend of Workshops, you'll see information there. Um, and if anybody has been thinking about going or has been looking at our website, please keep your eye out for, we're going to be updating the website. There'll be some maybe changes to the structure and the offerings that we have there. So um, you can also email me, Lisa or Stella, if you have questions about like what to expect or what we'll be doing there. And um, if you've never attended an in-person event for parents and you're on the fence about it, I mean, I think they have been so, so powerful and as, as you can tell from this conversation, we don't just complain about what's wrong. I mean, we definitely give parents an opportunity to share everything they've been holding in and like bottling up, but we also focus on how to give parents that kind of confidence and the strength so they can actually enact some positive change in their life, whether it's just like their own perception and experience of this or how to support their kids. So I find them to be incredibly powerful experiences and we hope, we hope that we'll have a lot of people join um, and come meet with us, hang out with us. And Tammy and Lynn and Lisa too, if you want to um, answer, if any of you want to answer this question, what, what are, what's something that gave you guys hope or really gave you a North star or mm. like really just impacted you a word, a book, a, a moment. Uh, in the, well, in the retreat, something that really was powerful to me was just a being a told in an understanding. It's not about the gender. And if I, if we attempt to attack it from that perspective, it's, it's not, it's not, there, there's not going to be any healing. And again, I mean, that goes back to that affirmation blind spot or blindfold, you're making it all about the gender when you affirm. You're also making it all about the gender when your only goal is desist, desist, desist. It's like, no, there's there's a lot more going on here. And just understanding that and, and being helped for a few days in a row to like, to, to really see how it's not about the gender. And so, okay, it's like, we understand that now, how, how can we move forward? And in what ways can we move forward? It, 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 that's, it was freeing. Really, it's freeing. Mm -hmm. I think what gave me hope was who was in the room. I was kind of afraid like to go to one of these conferences and be in person with these people. And are there going to be like my people, like-minded people, mm -hmm. educated people? I was very concerned about that this mm -hmm. is going to be some kind of religious right-wing. I didn't know, <laughs> right? I, I, was, I had yeah, my yeah. own fears around... Yeah facing yeah. this in person. And then when I got in the room and I looked around and I saw all these other educated, high functioning, well-read, concerned, devoted parents who were mm -hmm. all, you know, spending their money and time to be there. I was filled with hope. I think also yeah. I'm filled with hope by the detransitioners who are speaking out. Mm -hmm. I, I have hope from doctors like Julia Mason mm -hmm. and some of the journalists like Lisa that are getting the truth out there any way that they can and some reasonable therapists like Sasha and Stella who are having the courage to speak out and then I think that 
we also were told at that event, like we're, we're playing the long game, right? And -hmm. part of playing the long game and that this is a marathon, not a sprint is being able to tolerate, you know, our kids being angry or unhappy with our boundaries in the moment, just like they would be with curfews or rules about drinking or other safety rules. And so that gives me a lot of hope that I'm in it for the best long-term outcome for my kiddo. Yeah. I think for me that the hope has also come from connecting with so many amazing people and, and in this weird way through all this tragedy that my world expanded. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us, we're all told that we're on the wrong side of history, that that we're morally polluted, that we're bad parents, that we're bad people. And for me being kind of embedded, I feel like I've been embedded with people for the past few years. Mm-hmm. Partly, you know, I'm sort of a parent in this. I'm I'm sort of a writer in this. I don't know what I'm doing in this rabbit hole, but I cannot get out until everybody, you know, or more people understand what's really happening down here in this rabbit hole. So mm-hmm. I just felt, yeah, I felt affirmed. I felt affirmed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we're, we're not, I mean, I may be a bad person, but it's not because of this, you know, like we are, <laughs> we are not wrong. We are not bad. Mm-hmm. We are not bad parents and we are not bad people. And it just, it just, empowered me to keep going and i think in in different ways that's what it did for all these different people and you know i feel like i'm sort of hawking this event which i have nothing to do with i don't have anything to do with this you know i'm not not getting a commission for saying but i i i just think communing with people in person is so is so powerful and it really helps you it feeds your soul to keep going yeah it does whether it's our our event or anything i mean every time i hear about a parent that meets up with another parent for coffee let's say in their own city Mm -hmm. for the first time like they met each other on twitter like just any kind of being together in person it's just so different and it's so valuable and i do think having these extended periods of time where you can just with with patience and time absorb and think and plan uh it's really beautiful and for for me what gives me hope is like the the inextricable connection between kids and their parents in the vast majority of cases if you have always been a leaned in loving parent life is long the road is long sometimes it takes weird twists and turns but your kids do care what you think And obviously you love your kids and hearing stories, even if it's little moments of repair and connection between a parent and child, that gives me a lot of hope. And I, I know that the way parents respond to this makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your work, Sasha. And, and thank you ladies for uh, joining me today and, and being vulnerable and open and sharing your story. And, uh, being courageous and whatever way. Thank you for, for like very 
last minute being willing to have us on. I'm very, very grateful. Well, I finally opened a Calendly you. account just for you, Sasha. Just get this oh, off. Oh, was that the first time you use a Calendly? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? We have to do this all that. <laughs> I, know, I know a new thing about Benjamin now. Scheduling issues stress him out. <laughs> but we yeah. did it. Yeah, we did it. I feel great. Um, thank you yeah. so much. I'm going to end the recording now. And um, I just bless you and, and your, especially your children. Um, just God bless you guys and uh, just hope that everything works out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you.